0: Welcome to the very next episode of The Remedy with Tobacito. We are so, so delighted that you have joined us today in the car, on a walk, on a jog, and carpool. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. And thank you to Sarah Corner, right here from Dallas, Texas, who has sponsored today's episode. Thank you, Sarah. Yes, thank you, Sarah. I was waiting for you to say thank you, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sometimes I get distracted over here. (laughs) Sarah is a faithful listener and a generous donor, and we are grateful, grateful, grateful for her contribution. Uh, If you are interested in being a sponsor of the next episode of The Remedy, we would love and appreciate it. It's so easy. All you have to do is go to tovecito.com, click on The Remedy, and click on Make a Contribution. Um, So thank you, thank you, Sarah. Okay. Today in the studio, we have someone who is intriguing, very smart, a visionary, funny. And we have a guest, too. <laughs> That's funny, that Kevin. such a layup joke. Sorry. You have never done that before. <laughs> Sorry. Kev, that was good. I was like, "What?" Just couldn't resist. <laughs> He's never done that before. Jumped in with a dad stole, joke. He my stole, bad. He stole my accolades. Okay. You know you can only do that joke one time. Uh, yeah. That's a one and yep, done. Yep. I cashed it in on that one. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one to cash in because I was going on and on. You should have waited. I had a couple more adjectives. <laughs> but those might not. You know, it could have been something completely different. At, Got to strike while the iron's hot, you know? (laughs) That was funny. That was good. (laughs) Um, So we have a guy in our studio today named Rand Stegen. Is Rand short for something?
1: Short for Randall.
0: Randall? Mm -hmm. But have you always gone by Rand? No. You went by Randall growing up? We're already
1: getting into interesting facts. So (laughs) born Randall in Connecticut, about 40 minutes outside of New York, Mm -hmm. and went by Randy all the way through high school came to texas to go to college at smu i arrived as randy i graduated smu as randy and then in my early 20s i dropped the y and went to rand and so now my wife when she sees me run into an old friend depending on if they call me randy or rand she'll she, know she when knows. what era of my life they're from <laughs> so yeah
0: you're so much more a rand to me than a randy or a Randall? It was a
1: um, very painful cutting of the why, let's just say that. So To
0: who, to you,
1: to so, mom? So at, no, to me, <laughs> so at the time I was, in my early 20s I was running a uh, publishing company in, in Dallas, and I was publishing a newspaper called The Met, which was competing with a, a publication called The Dallas Observer, mm-hmm. and we were in an all-out newspaper war, and we were a hip arts and entertainment paper, and I had a small team of about 40, 45 people, made up of um, editorial staff. Mm -hmm. And so when I decided to drop as the publisher from Randy to Rand, they took it upon themselves to uh, offer an opinion about what they thought about that move (laughs) in the editorial every week for at least a year and a half. Where I was mocked and made fun of by That's the editors. Funny. Yeah, it was it was it was it was it was a very. Um, That's good. That's a, good. I was a well earned rand. I <laughs> promised you that for sure. And Tim Rogers, who runs D Magazine, the editor in chief up there, yep. was the was one of the main uh, was one of the main you know leaders of making sure that I was uh, constantly harassed in the newspaper. Yeah, That's and then great. and then they would publish my name as R A N D parentheses Y for years <laughs> and every time I would try to take it out they would put it back in so
0: <laughs> That's good stick. That's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Okay, so where were you born? So born
1: in uh Mount Kisco, Connecticut? New York. Yeah, born in New York and okay. uh and then moved to Connecticut when I was uh, you know just a few years old.
0: And what was your family doing in Connecticut?
1: So uh mom and dad were uh in New York when I was born. Parents mm-hmm. got divorced dad moved to New York city and we moved to Connecticut at what age, and, uh, that was about, they were divorced when I was about one. Oh. And, uh, so really young. young. So, uh, older sister, three years older, my mom and I all, you know, I, I grew up with that as my unit in, uh, in Connecticut mm-hmm. and grew up all the way through high school and eventually, uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, where I graduated Greenwich high school. And my dad was in New York city. And then ultimately, uh, when I was about 10 moved to Seattle and, uh, and that's where he was, uh, until we lost him about eight years ago.
0: So you moved to Seattle to live with No, no,
1: he just, that's where he was. Oh, that's so, where he mm-hmm, was. Yeah. So would you go visit him? All the time. Yeah. In the okay. summers. And, you know, we were, my dad and I were really, really close. Oh, that's yeah.
0: good. Mm-hmm. So you were at opposites. I mean, mom and dad were at opposites.
1: Total opposites. And then my sister went to uh, college at Northwestern in uh, Chicago uh-huh. and then I went to college in uh, at SMU in Dallas uh-huh. and so my dad was in you know we were tr- truly spread out at that point so
0: So what made you come to Texas?
1: I wanted uh I guess I I guess I can you know just be transparent here so two criteria for me <laughs> yeah. yeah. two criteria <laughs> were um I wanted to get out of the cold. the The snow and the cold was just something I wanted to get west. Yep. And so, um, so at seventeen, I'm not necessarily that proud of it now, but I had two criteria: warm weather and pretty girls. And uh, <laughs> SME was my number one choice. So,
0: <laughs> because of the pretty girls,
1: warm weather and pretty girls. So that it was. Uh, it, was so a, it was. It fit. It fit the. How it fit did the you profile. know? Because I came you... and visited. I had some friends. Uh, okay. that sisters and brothers older brothers and sisters were at smu and other colleges and so i went with my dad and we toured different universities and we picked uh, and i picked dallas so
0: yeah and so you what did you graduate in
1: um from smu in political science to okay. liberal arts mm-hmm.
0: okay and then uh did you go to graduate school
1: i did not but okay. i married someone who went to graduate school does that count <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sort of, yeah. <laughs> if you want it to, yeah. we can do that. Yep. <laughs> Where did you meet your bride?
1: So Jennifer and I met uh, here in Dallas. Uh, she was a lawyer and, uh, and we met through mutual friends. And uh, that was when I was around 28. And, uh, and as I got in, it was a few years later, we were married. So yeah.
0: So you were single for a little while after- was, Yeah, single for my 20s. Six years. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So you met her when you were 28. Mm-hmm. And how old were you when you got married? And so or early
1: thirties. Yeah. Okay. So, mm-hmm. And
0: so you've been married
1: 18 years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm about to turn 50. So I'm giving kind of broad brushstrokes here. Yeah, yes. Yeah.
0: When's your birthday?
1: June 24th coming up in the summer. What are you going to do? So we're going to, we're trying to pick, uh, she told me that I need to make a decision cause I've been delaying what to do. Uh-huh. Do I want to have a party with, you know, a hundred of my friends that I don't see that often. And we would have like a, just a, a fun Saturday night party. Or do yep. I want to take a smaller group of really, really close friends that don't necessarily know each other. But to me, they're like my closest friends, but they don't necessarily actually have a relationship with each other and take us away for a weekend to like a lake house. So I'm deciding. I haven't figured it out yet.
0: So I'll tell you something. I just got back from Blackberry Farm.
1: Oh, I've been there. Amazing. i would
0: never been there. I'd never even heard of it. Yeah. But one of my dear friends, she's from Knoxville. Yep. And so she had her 50th birthday party there and she set it all up like a year ago. And she invited, I don't know how many people she invited Rand, but 75 people showed yeah. up. It's a magical place. That's an yeah. insane yeah. amount of people yep. to show up for your 50th birthday. Yeah, yeah. But um I didn't know I did not know most people that went and we had a blast! Yeah, yeah. Like it's fun to meet other people's people. Other people's people. I like that. That's yeah. A good frame because you know what? If I like you, and I respect you, and I like what you stand for, chances are the people that you attract and mirror and mirror yep. you are going to be people that I would attract yep. and mirror mirror. And I was like, oh, "Why don't I know you?" And some people were from Dallas, and some were from uh, Knoxville. And I was like, I- "Like I met." Great people and, yeah, well, got, and a, got to it, know great people. That's
1: a great frame, a great way to think about it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I very, dug it. That's a work, I'm a work in progress on what I'm going to do for my 50th. All so, right. well,
0: yep. Keep us posted. Yep, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> um, okay, so I invited you here today uh, because I have immense respect for you and I'm fascinated by you. Um, I think a lot of people who um, sit... And watch you are fascinated by you. <laughs> you I don't agree know exactly what that word fascination
1: means, but let's unpack that. Like,
0: like wow! Like, wow! Um, I think a lot of people have thought that. So, just to give it some context, I'm going to explain my experience with you and with uh, Stegan, which a lot of people are hearing this word for the very first time. Yep. And um, and then I I want to know, like, I want to know. What, how you did this, what motivated you, how did you figure it out? I mean, it's fascinating. The whole thing just blows my mind. Um, Okay, so just to give people some context, um, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you describe what Stegen is because, and then I will gladly tell my experience with Stegen, but I think you're going to do a much better job explaining what Stegan. is is what the purpose is, what your vision is and then we'll go from there.
1: Great, so we're on kind of on the surface. the mm-hmm. Stegan Leadership Academy mm-hmm. is in the business of helping leaders become more conscious and more effective. Mm-hmm. So most people would look at us and say, oh they're a training company, a leadership training company. Mm-hmm. Others may look at us and say they do executive education. Mm-hmm. So we have a brick and mortar facility in Dallas mm-hmm. where we have a faculty made up of psychologists and psychotherapists and business practitioners. And, uh, and we have clients from all over the United States that sign up for 52 week programs and longer, and they fly to Dallas on a quarterly basis for classroom support. And then we engage them by phone and email and other technologies throughout the, uh, throughout the year of their program. So it's, um, we're in the training, corporate training business.
0: And people actually come from all over the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have a North America, so we definitely have Canadian and in uh, U.S., but we don't have uh, a big draw internationally by design. Our model is mostly, uh, you know, North America in how it's built that people come every ninety days, and okay. so traveling from you know globally for that would not be as ideal.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. um, who who is your target? What is what is the perfect candidate for the Stegan Leadership Program look like? Yeah, so the perfect
1: candidate is a. Uh, an individual, a senior executive, typically CEO mm-hmm. and uh, executives that report to the CEO would be the sort of ideal. Mm-hmm. And they uh, and they would be in a perfect world. They'd be really open. They want to you know, want to grow and learn. Mm-hmm. They are typically already highly accomplished. So other organizations focus on high potential development or broader employee development. We specialize in senior executive development. So that means that our clients are. Uh, have achieved quite a bit before we meet them. So successful, but yet humble and open. They want to grow and get better at whatever uh, whatever they're doing from a leadership standpoint. And they are playing the long game. That's our most important um, dimension of like what we really require to work with clients is: are they willing to see their development as a leader and really as a human being as a journey that is not just about you know an event or a workshop. But it's really a lifelong, multi-year, multi-decade journey—journey uh, journey of becoming, you know, their, their better selves through time.
0: Why? Why did you do this? So
1: the we talked briefly about the uh, the media company and the publishing company that I had. Mm-hmm. So we had a team that was made up of editorial staff and art and production, but also we had salespeople mm-hmm. and the, the sales team was about 20, 25 people at any given time. And my responsibility was to make sure that every 30 uh, for 30 minutes of every morning, we would do a stand-up huddle of like basic sales skills, basic training skills and doing that, you know, year after year running the media business, I started to notice something happening in me that was getting getting lit up in me when I was, in an environment where learning was happening. And I didn't know how to make sense of it at the time. I was in my 20s and I was a young leader myself. And I would I would notice that we would be training on something and one of my young sales reps would get the, that, and I imagine we all can experience this as either parents or as, as teachers or coaches or mentors when that light bulb moment happens. Mm-hmm. When someone when something lands for someone mm-hmm. that has never, that not just they've never, um, they've never learned before, they've never even thought about it before, like an aha moment. Mm-hmm. And I started to notice the um, the sense of inspiration and sort of fulfillment that would happen inside of me when that would occur. And so it wasn't that I was dispensing the answers and they were getting the answers, but something was happening in that environment or what I might call now that kind of space. Mm-hmm. And when, uh, when I started to pay attention to that and I talked to my, I had hired an executive coach because I was young and I didn't know how to lead. So I hired someone to help coach me and guide me and mentor me. And I went to my coach and said, hey, coach, I'm noticing how much I'm enjoying and you know, feeling inspired by, this, uh, by these moments of learning. And he said, let's pay attention to that. And over a period of several years, I cultivated a strong sense of you know, purpose for myself that had something to do with learning. Not just their learning, because you know, the the teacher and the student create the taught is a sort of a, an old saying, an Eastern saying, and so often it's the teacher has the knowledge and the student sits at the feet of the teacher to to receive that. But in reality, my experience is that the teacher and the student create the taught. That the learning is available mm-hmm. mutually for um, for everybody, and that that really sparked my uh, my call to adventure, as we might refer to this, mm-hmm. of. I'm selling the media company in 1999, and deciding that my um, that my next chapter was to follow that impulse, and I started the business that uh, that that I run now in 1999.
0: And when you started it, what did it look like? I'm sure it looks completely different now.
1: Completely, completely different. And yeah. so,
0: what did starting it look like for you?
1: Starting it looked like um, asking myself, okay, if I love if I love this training thing, and I happen to also be a big fan of Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. which I was going to a lot of his three day conferences and getting inspired and standing on my chair and doing the whole rah rah thing, and I really loved his firewalk uh, program, and I said, wow, that like idea of seeing an obstacle and being able to walk across you know hot bed of twelve hundred degree coals. That's amazing. And it wasn't about the firewalk. It was the fact that we see these obstacles that we think are, quote, impossible, and we overcome them. And then we can ask ourselves, what other obstacles do I think are, um, are impossible to overcome? And so there's like a breakthrough thinking. And so I thought to myself, well, if I want to do training and development and I'm leaving the media business, what do I, uh, what do, I do? And so I went to, um, to figure out who taught Tony Robbins how to do the firewalk. And so I found his teacher in California and I went to a 14 day intensive training to get certified in how to lead the firewalk that he was doing. And I came back to Dallas and opened up my company as the Texas Firewalk. Really? Yeah. And look, this is not not widely known. So
0: <laughs> it is now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. So much for that well, being So much secret. for that secret. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So since the cat's out of the bag, so our phone number at the Academy today is 214-744-9255. Well, that phone number is 744-WALK which is the Texas firewalk still to this day on our business cards, on our website. And I have employees at the office. They have no idea that that's our phone number because <laughs> we don't talk about the kind of origin of firewalking as our, uh, as our beginning.
0: Is that the very beginning? Yeah, and yeah. was it
1: just you doing It this? was just me. It was me. I was never intending on building a business. It was going to be me really inspired by this idea of what Tony Robbins had done as being a uh, you know, a strong, passionate personality out doing training. I really thought that's what I was going to do, and I went to my friends who were also entrepreneurs that I knew from building the media company. And I uh, and was very blessed to have them willing to introduce me to other friends. And they and they all gave me a shot at doing training. And so my first training was a uh, a friend named Rick Sapio. and I went to Rick and I said, hey, he was in the mutual fund business and he had eighty employees." And I said, "Rick." I'm starting my business and I need a start. I need a, I need to get, I you know, need a story. I, I need a story. I need the mm-hmm. first customer. Would you be willing to be my first customer? And, um, and we didn't do a firewalk. We did a, another rah, rah motivational sort of program that was two hours. And I went to his 80 employees and I did a two hour program and it was very, um, very, uh, you know, experiential. We like broke boards and yelled and screamed and hugged each other. And, um, and Rick, uh, Rick said, well, how much are you going to charge me? And I said um, I was very nervous, and I, I took a big deep breath, and I said, "What about fifty dollars?" Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> and I said, and, he, and he's like, "Done," and uh, and I uh, and I I asked him to give me a dollar bill and a forty-nine dollar check, and I put that dollar bill up with his signature and uh, and a note on the back in my uh, in, a, in a in a in a piece of glass in a frame, and that dollar bill sits today in my office um as the beginning of our business february 6 1999 and what's crazy is that i worked out this morning at 5:30 a.m.
0: with Rick Savio. Oh God! 21 years later. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Okay, so how how did it evolve? How did Firewalk evolve? Into, so i got
1: a so i got
0: I mean i know that's a big question. So to, uh, can you yeah, yeah. So walk we, us through? So I said, okay.
1: I went to my evolved. other friends and said, Hey, can I take your employees and do a firewalk? And they were like, Yeah. And so I started building a building a reputation of doing these really powerful, experiential, uh, motivational, team-building activities for um, for individuals really from one company where the CEO, the entrepreneur who was my friend, would hire me to come in like Rick did and do these programs. And then I was friends with a woman who ran a speakers bureau. Her name is Michelle Lemons, International Speakers Bureau, a massive, you know, you know, national, uh, national business that helps speakers go on the road to like <clears throat> Vegas and speak at conferences. This was pre-internet. So I got a VHS tape made and um, Kevin, could, Kevin would have been my producer back then, and we did a we did a reel like a like a speaker reel, and we uh, we interviewed my clients, and it was me on stage, and it was me rah rahing people, and then we send the VHS tape through the Speakers Bureau to other people around the country, and I started getting booked on a national basis to go to Vegas and speak in front of a thousand or 2,000 or 5,000 people at an insurance conference. And I was a, I was a, for the first year, year and a half, I was a professional full-time by myself speaker. <sighs> and, uh, and that's, that's what I was pursuing. And then I realized, even though I was very fortunate to get this mm, yeah. opportunity, I realized that I was, um, quickly in the entertainment business. So I'm in Vegas And I'm looking out into the crowd and they're eating their chicken, chicken lunch or chicken dinner. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get them all excited. And, you know, if I was lucky, they'd get engaged and be inspired. But then I get on an airplane and come back to Dallas. And I'm like, am I really in the business of helping people grow and learn like I was doing when I was working with my own sales team, Mm -hmm. when through time, there was this. There was this genuine unfolding of their mm. um, of their learning, mm-hmm. but actually, I wasn't doing that. I was actually entertaining. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with doing entertainment. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with speakers who go out around the world and really sure. inspire people. Sure. That's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I made the decision to pivot from being a sole inspirational you know, s- you know person on stage to figuring out how can I go back to really what I was drawn to, which was training and development through time mm-hmm. with people. And that ultimately led to us creating what we do today, which is our, um, which is our integral leadership program, our flagship program. We've been now doing it for 20 of our 21 years. And Rick Sapio, my first client was in the first cohort of, uh, of 10 people.
0: Okay. Yeah. I don't think I knew, I'm sure I've heard that before, but I'd, it's, i it's, I don't have the memory that it's 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah. 20 ILP. years old. Yeah. And so, um, you said it's 52 weeks um i'm in that program right now you're in one of our cohorts um, right now um, which is one great of, yes yeah. yes and uh, i'll just speak a little bit about what's been my experience and what's been fascinating and challenging and amazing um and and difficult and eye opening um <laughs> uh, it's it's i mean i went to college um uh, it's much more challenging, uh, than college, even though it's not as much time, obviously. Um, it's 52 weeks. I would say that it takes, if you're doing it well, and I don't always do it well, but if you're doing it well, I would say it takes five to seven hours a week Is that fair? Yeah. And
1: I would say, depending on who you are, we would say on average, it takes about three hours a week to do the program. And some people do it at five hours a week or more.
0: Uh I'm slow. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You're just committed. You're you're (laughs) committed to really doing it. I'm methodical.
0: And well, okay. So, so what happens is you show up the first day, um, you meet with your team, the people. So, so every class has a name. My class is named Dewey. Yep. Um, the classes are named after
1: after namesakes. So yes. we've had um, Amelia Earhart, the Earhart class, the Einstein class, the Washington class, the uh, you know the there's, there's the Shackleton, Ernest Shackleton, the great explorer. So every class has a name, and um, we've got um, Nightingale, Florence Nightingale, just launched. Mm-hmm. And so those namesakes are meant to uh, are meant to signify you know, a person that we get inspired by. Mm-hmm. And then your, um, your class, a group of 20 leaders, in some cases from 20 different companies from all over the United States yep. come together and they meet in Dallas one day per quarter. So it's really yes. manageable. Totally. But then in between the quarterly workshops is where our real, you know, the magic meet. is them. And what we do that, that very few, organizations in the corporate training or executive development space are doing that this is that's really what differentiates us is what happens in between those quarterly workshops yeah
0: it's really true so the first day i came um you know you register you sign up you haven't really you sort of know what you're getting into but you don't know what you're getting into and i was intimidated i was scared um i bet most people are even though these are people who are successful and uh, motivated and in many cases highly regarded i mean very very respectable hard-working motivating people in my yep. class yep. so we have i don't even know 20, 20 to, people 25 yeah. Yeah. in in my class and i mean they are all so different we have someone who works at andrews brewery he's uh, chief technology officer. We have uh, someone who's big name in an HR company. Uh, we have a psychologist. We have, um, we have me who's, you know, a pastor and Bible study leader Mm -hmm. and And whatever else speaker. and, 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 and it's just this random, you know, there's a group of not random, but different, like everybody comes from different walks of life, different parts of the country. Um, different backgrounds, different family, and you all come together. And, uh, and the first day was interesting and scary because, you know, uh, for me, and I can only speak f- for me, I'm thinking these people are so much smarter and <laughs> so much more <laughs> successful than me. And then by like noon, what you realize is. Somehow, through the, the, the incredible, uh, just how phenomenal the, the program is, by noon, all your guards are down, all your insecurities have left the room, and you realize you're just a bunch of people yep. who want yep. to become the best version of yourself. And it's one of the things that I just absolutely love. The thing, that I love a lot about the Stegan Leadership Program, and it's changed me. Uh, profoundly. Mm. Um, But the thing that I have loved the most is uh, the people like meeting and getting to know this group of people and bonding with this group of people and being vulnerable with this group of people that I in, in an, in everyday life, I would never, ever, ever have the chance to, to know these people and be inspired by these people. And so you're together all day, one day, and then you leave and you're given a curriculum, you're given homework, for lack of a better word. Yep. Um, but it's not, it's homework you want to do. It's homework that motivates you. It's homework that inspires you. It's homework that makes you a better version of yourself. Um, so when, when I went into this, I thought, okay, this is going to make me a better leader. Professionally, I just came at it from a very professional standpoint. This is going to make me more organized. This is going to make me more intentional. This is going to make me uh, time block better. Uh, This is going to help me become more organized and you know wake up and eight to five. I'm going to know exactly what I need to do and I'm going to do it better. Yep. That has happened, but it's so much more than that. By, by design, yeah. But I didn't know that. Which is, which is, which is
1: we, we don't necessarily emphasize what we're really doing in the program. It's phenomenal. Up front. Because what will happen is, and you'll see this when you go through your graduation we call a commencement, is that people will come to their commencement 52 weeks later, and they'll get their diploma, and they will be you know 80 or 100 people in the audience, their friends and family of the class that's graduating, mm-hmm. and they'll say, if I knew what I was actually signing up for, yeah. I don't know if I would have signed up for it. Yeah. But now that I've had this experience, I would never
0: want to undo it. You can't,
1: you don't want to. And so our whole, our whole approach strategically was, can we develop a program that is positioned as helping leaders become more effective? Mm -hmm. And I've already hit on some of these ideas, learn how to get more done in less time, learn how to delegate, learn how to become less stressed, learn how to build higher performing teams. So all these things that are just the fundamentals of leadership and learning how
0: to be a servant.
1: That's right. Learning how to be (laughs) of service. Mm -hmm. And and then we say to people, if we could help you deal with those things and really try to minimize some of the noise in your life, help you identify what's most important, your priorities, your values, mm-hmm. your, you know, your most important goals, if we were able to help you do that, would you be willing to do the deeper work, like the deep work? Mm-hmm. And many people will say to us, I can't do the deep work because I've got too much busyness in my mm-hmm, life. Mm-hmm. And so if you can actually help me become less, less stressed and less busy, of course I'll do the deep work, but that won't happen for me. And so we earn the right, our faculty, through our methodology and our process, to after about two quarters, to actually then do the deep work that we really want to do. Mm-hmm. The really, really deep inner work yep. that for us is the sacred Nature of the uh, purpose of the business, which is helping human beings wake up, helping human beings become more conscious so that they, to your point of service, so that they can then serve the world and make an impact in more meaningful ways. And if we were to go out and and really position our program as that, people would be like, nah, I'm pretty overwhelmed and can't get all my stuff done. And I just need some help on the fundamentals. So we're like, great, let's just load the fundamentals in the beginning Mm -hmm. and then let's do the deeper work on the other side of that. And now, you know, 20 years later and thousands and thousands of graduates and hundreds of current students in cohorts today, you know, running at any given time, we have learned how to do that consistently. And I, I would say, and I've been saying this for, for 20 years, you know, we'll. it's a guaranteed money back, money back guaranteed, but you got to do the program.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So if I was a trainer, mm-hmm. I would say, okay, Tova, we got we got here what do you want? You don't want to build muscle, I want to get leaner, whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. Want to lose weight? Well, if I as your trainer said, um, I'm going to design a program and it's going to be 3 hours a week and it's going to require you to have a certain nutrition plan and you're going to text me your food every day mm-hmm. and you're going to come to the gym and we're going to work out high intensity workouts and we're going to work out Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Mm-hmm. And you got to do exactly what I tell you to do and trust me that I have expertise if you do my program and it does not transform you, mm-hmm. I will give you your money back. Sure. But you got to do the program. Sure. And so people have gone through our program who have decided not to do it. And then they say, well, I want my, and I'm like, you can't. But you didn't you do can't, it. You didn't do the program. <laughs> so if you do the program, I'll, I'll guarantee it. And it's not actually a very risky guarantee because we've built a structure and a methodology that's a self-actualization system. Yes. And we've been very fortunate to have access to some pretty incredible content. And we work with the material out of Harvard from Robert Keegan, who ran the adult development department up there for 40 years before his retirement. And we got the opportunity over the years to work directly with him, but more importantly with his research in developing our, our point of view philosophically and the data behind it on how human beings and adults grow and develop. And then we went to health and fitness and said, what can we learn from the book, Body for Life? You ever hear of that yeah. book? So the yep. in, in, we started in 1999. And the movie The Matrix came out in 1999, mm-hmm. and we uh, and the book Body for Life came out in 1999. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this until just a few years ago. I, re- I put that together, and so that that Body for Life book was the for many of the people listening, especially for people who are younger. This was like the precursor to P90X, yep. right? This 90 day, 12 week transformation, and we and I did the uh, and I did the program, and I had this incredible, predictable result. And I went to our early team and said if we could develop a, a, a self-actualization system that mirrored what Body for Life did in mm-hmm. physical fitness, then we could take, instead of it being a 12-week or a 13-week program, we could do it a one-year program. And we could break it into four quarterly cycles. Mm-hmm. It'd be like doing Body for Life or P90X four times, you know, you know head to, you know, uh, what do they say? Nose to tail. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've built. We built these, these, these cycles, these implementation cycles. And, the, and we got a lot of insight from Body for Life. We got a lot of insight from martial yeah. arts, a lot of insight from some friends who are special forces trainers who taught us what they had learned, and a lot of insight from the research around development. And we put it all together in a, in a sort of secret sauce. And that's what we've been doing for a couple decades. And we're just, we're just we, I, I would consider us a startup. If I had to say like, mm-hmm. where are we in our own life cycle? Mm-hmm. It took 15 years to run the warm-up lap. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people that have had our quote success mm-hmm. might've said, oh, wow, it's time to run the victory lap. And I remember being in my office five years ago, looking out the window, we sit on the Katie trail, our facility. And I remember it was quiet in the office. First week of January, we we're closed. And I looked out the window and I had this realization like, wow. Fifteen years in—that's how long it took us to just get the fundamentals, mm. like our pricing, our segmentation, our intellectual property, our technology, and what a what a what a gift it was to have this realization of like now we can really start the work that we're that we're really feeling called collectively as a team to do in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm think I'm I think I started five years ago, kind of emotionally, <laughs> and uh, and so now we're you know we're out trying to continue to learn and grow and expand and yeah.
0: I think the thing uh one of the things that I did not expect well I know I did not expect I did not expect for the program to impact my personal life so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, it has deeply affected the way I parent. Mm-hmm. It has deeply affected my interaction with my with my uh family, with yeah. my siblings, yeah. my dad, my ex-husband. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm better. I'm better at all of those interactions, um, and it's deeply affected my ability to be present. Uh, my con- I'm very much more conscious. I'm much more intentional. Um, before I started Stagen, well, I when I started Stagen, I was working uh, at Wisteria. I was full time, yep. and my life has really changed. And when I started Stagen, I had an idea. That this transition would probably be happening at some point in the near future that I wanted to go and do my own thing, but I knew that if I wanted to go and do my own thing i needed to i wanted to do it well, I wanted to be intentional, and i needed uh, I needed some parameters I needed some some i needed to I can be very ad hoc. I can be very spontaneous. I can be, um, yeah, I'll do that. Or yep, yeah, yep. very reactive.
1: Reactive, it's a good word. Yes,
0: yep. I can be very reactive. And uh, that sounds good. Oh, I'll do that. Sure. And um, especially if I feel, um, you know, if I'm starting out and I am I need it or I want it so bad, and Stegen has really, Caused me to pause, so you know I resigned Wisteria, and I really felt strongly that I wanted to do more speaking, counseling, Mm -hmm. um, concentrate on the podcast, uh, Bible study, and just I feel a real calling on my life. And but I also know, like, those are my gifts. I know how to speak. I know how to. Come in here and do a podcast. I know how to lead a Bible study. I can do all those things with my eyes closed and my hands tied behind my back. I don't know how to plan. I don't know how to time block. I don't know how to stay organized. I just don't. (laughs) I mean, I'm terrible at those things. And, and, and then, you know, I'm, I'm a single mom with three kids and I'm traveling here and there and I'm doing this and that. And, and And I'm saying yes to that, but I'm double blocking and I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah. This is what you,
1: everything you're describing is actually in many ways, the sort of composite of our, uh, of our average client coming in, the leaders coming in, feeling this sense of I'm, 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 I'm being pulled in so many directions. I'm not, you use the word intentional. Well, what, what happens prior to being intentional? You can't be intentional if you're in reactivity. Yeah. And so what we have worked to do, if we had to sort of bottom line, as you know, from the curriculum, what we're really doing at the end of the day is trying to help people become more aware. Yep. And we use the word conscious. Yep. To actually get out the idea of awareness and the move we're trying to help leaders like you make is how do we move from reactivity to consciousness? Yep. How do we move when life is happening to us? Right. So therefore we have to react to life, to actually being the agent of 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 the intention that we want for our life, mm-hmm. and another way we would talk we would talk about this, thanks to Bob Keegan at Harvard in his work, is he calls the 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 reactivity is almost this this idea that I'm sort of socialized by my uh, upbringing, my experiences, mm-hmm. and the move from being socialized level of consciousness to a self authoring level of consciousness. That's a great, and mm-hmm. and we and we ask our clients all the time. Who is authoring the story of your life? Is your life being authored by you or are you living out the story that was given to you well-intentioned by your parents, by your church, by your education? And so this idea of waking people up to taking responsibility for their own life. And when we say to people, and you've done this work already, what are your values? And they'll say, well, what do you mean? We say, what are your priorities? Well, you know, faith is a priority or family or fitness or financial security or travel or whatever their uh, values are. And then we work with them one on one. Everyone gets assigned, as you know, a coach who's got training as a psychologist. I have the best
0: coach. And who's your coach? Bert.
1: Oh, you've got the best. Coach. I know. And all my other coaches, I'd say, are the best too. Okay, so uh, but Bert is a near and dear. He's been with us almost uh, almost the entire journey, seventeen years. He's phenomenal. You know, he's amazing and very inspiring. Um, very. And he, you know, happens to be a psychologist before we met him. and still a psychologist and now an executive coach, and so you and Bert or any of our coaches with any of our clients will start to ask this question. These are your values. Whose values are they? And initially people will say they're my values. And then we'll say, well, where did they come from? And then that starts to be a little bit provocative to say the least, right. because for some people they've adopted the sure. values that were handed to them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately we believe that adults leadership is can be thought of as the idea of maturing. Yeah. Like, how do I continue to mature? Leadership is a great way to build a bridge to my own development and my own maturing into who I ultimately can become. And so self-authoring, being the author of our own life, allows us to then be intentional. Yep. And so you, you may have heard us talk about sort of one of our big ideas from our chairman, Rick Voren, we also call Uncle Rick. Yep. And Uncle Rick said once, and I wrote it down, and uh, he said, with awareness... There is choice. Mm. So with awareness, there is choice. Mm -hmm. Without awareness, only habit.
0: Just say that again. It's so good.
1: With awareness, there is choice. Mm -hmm. Without awareness, only habit. Yeah. And often people are habituated into a way of being with their family. Yep with their kids, with their siblings, with their parents, a way of being with their spouses, Mm -hmm. a way of being that is repetition. It's almost like grooved into them. And that reactivity is something that they're not consciously doing. It's just a pattern that's running them like a rag doll being thrown around by life circumstances. And so what what we try to help people do is really wake up. And when they wake up and you could say, or people listening might say, oh, that's wonderful to wake up. And it's like not not always because um, there's the, the idea of when you when you start to wake up to a new possibility, then one is often confronted with, well, how do I make sense of my my existing yeah. my existing identity sure. that I'm fused to, and I have a lot I have a lot at stake at keeping that you know as my status quo, and if I disrupt my status quo, it might disrupt my business, my yep. work, my family and the so outcome,
0: the current outcome
1: the current outcome and so mm-hmm. we're in the transformation business where people throw that around like a cliche and when you ask why do we work with people who play the long game because transformation is a multi-decade process. Yep. I talked to a a client, 13-year client, his name is Greg Massey, he runs a a bank up in Oklahoma, First United Bank, and when we met them 13 years ago, he wanted to be a better leader. And We start. we had the opportunity to work with him like you in the integral leadership program. He finished the ILP and he started putting his executives through the ILP. And then he said, what's next for me? And we had the opportunity to keep working with him. And we worked with him, this is a funny story. We worked with him for nine years in some kind of capacity where we were a resource to him because he's a lifelong learner. He wanted to get better and grow. And as he was growing, the bank was growing. And when he was stuck, the bank was stuck. Mm And so we started to see this correlation in all of our clients that we worked with through time of like, wow, leaders become the catalyst for the future of the business or the department. But a department is not going to grow beyond the person leading that department. And a company is not going to grow beyond the person leading that company. A family is not going to grow beyond the capacity of the parent or the parents. And so this there's a huge responsibility to lead, lead a family, lead a business, lead whatever it is. And so someone talked to me once and they said, I talked to Greg and he says, he's been working with you guys for nine years. And, and this guy said, that's a long time. And I said, yeah. And he goes, how's Greg doing from your perspective? And I looked at him and I said, it's too early to tell. It's only been nine years and true story. Okay. So, that's so then fantastic. we were at the conscious capitalism, uh, CEO summit a few months ago down in Austin and, Greg was there and I was there and in, in another conversation and someone said, Greg Massey says, you've been working with him for 13 years. And I said, yeah, it's just been an honor. And he said, 13 years, that's a, that's a long time. How's it going? And I said, I'm encouraged. Okay. And so and that, just, that was just a recent conversation. I'm encouraged. And so, so like, I can't wait to see what Greg looks like 25 years into that first conversation I had with him. Not because we're doing, he's doing the work. Right. We're just one of many resources and friends and challengers and coaches that are in his in his orbit. Mm-hmm. He is the one doing the work. So my honoring, is not about us, my honoring is to Greg that he's been willing to stay in his own development, sure. in his own work, and that he never stops. It's like somebody who works out and they go, I wanna lose weight. So I work out with a trainer for a year, I lost the 20 pounds, so I guess I don't have to work out with the trainer anymore, right. or I don't have to work out. And that's why so many people have sort of inconsistencies in yo-yos in their health, mm-hmm. and in, in, in our industry, quote-unquote, the leadership development industry, it's almost exclusively, almost delivered in events, event-based training. Yep. And I got a call from a big global organization and they were doing a, a European conference and I was honored to ask, they asked me to be a quote guru to come in and do a two-day training with the top 80 leaders of Europe, a big fortune 50 company. And I got on the phone with them and I said, so you want me to come in for two days and what do you want me to do? And they told me what they wanted me to do. And it reminded me of those days in Vegas when I was on stage as an entertainer. <laughs> and I said, once I open them up and you want you want them, the 80 leaders, to literally transform, that was their word, transform themselves because they need it to be the, the the agents of change in your organization. So you're going to put them with me for two days and then what's going to happen after the two days? And they literally said to me, I was on the phone with three people and they said, what do you mean? And I said, what, what do I mean? I mean, what's going to happen? How are you going to continue to support them and help them develop themselves after the two days? And they're like, they were like, why is this guy asking us these questions? That was the, that was the energy and I declined and I decline 95% of the invitations to go and speak now because I don't have any interest in participating in the charade mm-hmm. of the leadership training business where it's not actually training. It's well-intentioned, but it's really about inspiring people. Yeah, And so let's just call it that. Let's right. just say we're having a leadership inspiration <laughs> exactly. and, and maybe instead of hiring a big, expensive speaker, you could go to Six Flags and ride the rides. It'd be cheaper, right? <laughs> because unfortunately, it's, it's sort of the same outcome. Yeah, It's like, I can go and have fun at so Six Flags, or I can go and have fun listening to a, to a wonderful person speak for a day. Yeah. But like, where's the there there after yeah. that conference, right? Such, and this such is- Such a good question. And this is, and you say like, who are our ideal clients? We typically work with privately held businesses- and we typically work with businesses where the owners, the founders, or the families are able to have this conversation mm-hmm. and say, yeah, that makes sense. Like investing in myself for a year, mm-hmm. investing in my team for a year, that seems like a good start. Yeah. yeah. A
0: yeah. good start. That's a—I mean, th- going through it, it's such a good point because this takes a long time. I mean, so one of the first things that we did in the first quarter was come up, and you alluded to this. You mentioned this. Come up with your value system, and it took me a long time. Yeah, I mean, my, I, you, you, Stegen provides this list. If you can't really, if you're having a hard time coming up with your own list, like a, you guys have a list of what fifty, seventy-five, or more, or just like yeah, these examples to get you yes, to sort of get, get the juices flowing, you, yes. right? Yeah, At which did, and but I ended up writing down all these things that I thought, okay, I value this, I value this, I value this, I value And in fact, uh, Mike McGuire, who's also gone through the ILP, who's- uh, One of our,
1: we're very proud to have him as one of our members, yes. Uh,
0: With Andrew's beer, he was on our podcast talking about intentionality. I had no idea that this, uh, many of the things that he shared were things that he learned through the ILP. And it's one of our most popular podcasts because people just loved it, especially men.
1: And, and I I first heard you and Kevin on that podcast because he forwarded it to me. And I don't think you and I would know each other or you'd be on our program had I not listened to that podcast. <laughs>
0: Seriously. I thought he learned all that stuff on his own. I know. <laughs> so did I. I. came up with that stuff. And i that's why, I mean, when I was listening to him, I, w- I was mesmerized. Like, how does a man- do that? Like not a man, but how does a man know to like yeah, I know. create a value yeah. system and create a, a, a mission statement for their life? And, 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 uh, he had, and he had
1: been doing so much of that on his own yes. prior to meeting us.
0: He's a, he's a truth seeker. He, and he, he's a,
1: he's like Greg Massey. He's one of these lifelong learners yes. really open. We had the opportunity to put some more tools in his toolkit Yes, and to help amplify some things and offer some ways for him to go a little bit deeper than he would have been able to go without some outside support yes. um, but he was clearly you know like greg he was he was he's the one with batteries included there he's so, doing yeah. the work well yeah.
0: so he had the gift you just kind of helped him yeah yeah well he
1: had he had the gift and he had the passion he had his own he had his own uh, approaches and so yeah yeah the um and, and and i think you know you came to our reunion this uh, past December. Uh. And I, I think, I think one of the most important reunion. questions, the reunion's great. Every year we bring all of our graduates together and hundreds of people, to this big conference.
0: Just phenomenal.
1: And, and I think one of the questions that we asked at the reunion this year was what game are you playing? And we talked about James Carse's book from 1986, Finite and Infinite Games. Right. And you may remember, you know, the finite game you play to win. That's the objective of the game. Yeah. And that's played by, you know, finite players and In the infinite game you play for only one reason to ensure that the game continues. Yeah. And so when people come to us like this example of the invitation to go to the conference, that's a that's an organization playing the finite game. It's a very short-term game. But our clients resonate with the idea that I want to play the finite game. There's nothing wrong with that. Playing chess, you and I playing chess is a sure. finite game. Sure but I want to be able to play the finite game and the infinite game. Yeah. And our clients are like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to play the infinite game? And for us, it means realizing I had a client, uh, I had a, a conversation with someone, a seven-year conversation. Every year we get together for lunch and he wasn't ready to do deep work. And eventually just last fall in 2019, um, he was ready. And we talked about the finite game and the infinite game. And he said, so, but I don't understand well, how do I know if I win the infinite game? Mm. And I say, you don't. Yeah. And he goes, well, and he was, he was, he runs a multi-billion dollar business. And I said, um, I said, you seem to be really struggling with this. Why are you struggling? And he said, well, when I play a game, it's very important to me that I can watch the scoreboard and I can see that I have won the game. And I said to him, well, if you're going to play the infinite game, you're going to have to let go of the attachment to the outcome. Mm. And you're going to have to see yourself as actually part of the solution Mm -hmm. and there is no end. And I said, you have children, so maybe your children will get to see the fruits of some of your efforts. And he was really honest and he said, I just don't know, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can really step into that. And through time and some more conversations, he ultimately got really clear that it was time for him to move beyond how he had been keeping score Mm -hmm. in his life and really stepping into something much bigger than himself, much bigger than his ego, much bigger than his reputation, and start to think about the impact that he wanted to be a part of making multi-generationally, mm-hmm. like really long-term. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's the game that we're playing. And this doesn't mean that we can't help people be really good at playing the finite game while they're, yeah, while they're, in, their, sure. while they're in their business. And so there's sure. a there's a sacred kind of spiritual dimension to the infinite work that we're um, that we're very committed to, and we're mm-hmm. committed to popularizing it and exposing it to more leaders and and bringing it to the world through them.
0: So good. One of the things um, and and we started that conversation about with the values that has just made a phenomenal impact on me is writing that list, and then we're challenged in the ILP to walk the talk and we're accountable. Yep. We're held accountable to that. Um, every week with our coaches and our team um, and we're with our class and are we walking the talk? Okay. We say, I say that faith and family and, and travel and financial security and, and you know, the list goes on that. These are my values. And I've always said that many of those things have been my, my value. And yet I have been challenged almost every week since I started the ILP. Uh, Okay. Really? Tova? Like, you know, does, does do your actions match your value system? Am I walking the talk?
1: So there's espoused values Mm
0: -hmm. and there's lived values. Right.
1: And there's nothing wrong with having espoused values. Like, you know, I'm not in great shape but I want to be in better shape. So I'm going to have an aspiration for physical fitness to be one of my values. Right. But here's the, here's the real cold truth that people don't typically want to face. Our values, our priorities are expressed through our behaviors. Yes. And so if I want to know Tova's values or Kevin's values or anybody's values, all I have to do if I had the ability to follow you yep. for three months, yep. for 90 days, and let me just watch you. Yeah, and if you're spending time with your family that's really meaningful, engaged, I'd be like, oh, there it is, family value. Yeah. Or if you're spending time with your faith and you're doing some kind of prayer or some kind of contemplation on a regular basis, yeah. that's important. Yeah. If you're exercising regularly, that's important. And so people get confronted with the mm-hmm. fact that, as you're experiencing, it's, good word. it's confronting. <laughs> like I tell people in the workshop, here are my values and I'm proud to share it with everybody. But then I have to ask myself in our high accountability structure, did I actually walk that talk last week? And you do it every week. Mm-hmm. And then through time, and we've had many leaders, especially men, you talk about you know men and women having sort of different sensibilities often. And we've had many men who said, family's important. And then we say, what would that look like behaviorally? Oh, it means I'd spend quality time. I've got three little kids with all three of my kids on a weekly basis, 30 minutes each quality time. And we say, great. And they're like, great. And then they look at that for 12 weeks, 26 weeks, and they, all of a sudden they get halfway through our program and they're talking to their coach and they're saying, coach, what do I do with the, with the fact that I'm not actually living my aspiration, my well-intentioned mm-hmm. aspiration to be with my children or my spouse, whatever, they, whatever their goals are. And then our coach says the following. This is an you know, oversimplification. We well, have two choices. You can change your behavior or you can change the value. Yeah. And we've had people say, if my, if my wife were to find out that I took this value off, (laughs) right? Like that'd be a real problem. And we've had people who've chosen to leave their jobs and chosen to leave their, um, their, their, uh, you know, not just roles, but entire industries because they were so confronted with the choice of existentially, like what's more important. Yeah. And, And we've had other people that have just used it in a very inspiring and not so confronting way to just build some improvements on the margin. But when you talked and you said, wow, Rand, I thought I was joining a program to become a a more effective leader, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I've actually become a more effective human being. Yes. And you're waking up to that. Yes. So often leaders compartmentalize people, compartmentalize themselves. So let's have myself at work and then mm-hmm. I've got another box, which is myself at home. Mm-hmm. And I've got another box, which is myself sort of, let's say, in the community. It could be mm-hmm. in my church. Or it could mm-hmm. be with my, my neighbors. And I have these different boxes. Yep. And I have these different selves. And unfortunately, we see this a lot in high-performing business leaders where the person that's at work might be pretty, uh, pretty uh, aggressive, might be more about win-lose, might be very transactional. Might not be um, very vulnerable at all, very armored up, mm-hmm. and then that same human being, when they're teaching Sunday school with their daughter's fourth graders, mm-hmm. they're they're it's a different person. Mm-hmm. And then I and I'm, I always get very um, very saddened by this. That like, why is it that you can be one person with your Sunday school that you teach that anyone at work would be shocked to know that you taught Sunday school? But yet at work, you're this completely different person and the energy that it takes to keep that division between those, in this example, those two selves, that's enormous. And it becomes almost like a chronic, um, like a chronic fever, you know, tapping the true inspirational energy of the leader. And so what we try to do is help people realize that you don't have to be separate selves in different environments. You can be one integrated person to the integral leadership program. And then people start to wake up in their awareness to, wow, if I become more conscious at work, that means I'm going to become more conscious in my key relationships at home with my spouse, with my kids, with my ex spouse, whatever it is. So awareness shows up in one's life regardless of the circumstance. And that's why it's just, uh, it's a little bit silly to think that any deep transformational program would only be creating benefit in one domain. Yeah. If it's truly transformational, it's true. Th- Then it's going to be in, in in my life. In my life is all my domains. Right. And so that I don't know if that is making sense, but that's oh, it makes it, yeah. perfect sense yeah. to
0: me. Um, and I think it will make perfect sense to everybody. Yeah. Okay. So where is Stegan? We're already at an hour. Can you believe how fast this goes? I cannot believe how friend. fast this goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I, before we go, I want to know where is Stegan going? Where are you going with this? what's what's your vision for the future of Stegan?
1: So for the first 15 of 20 years we uh, we were very clear that we wanted to stay a boutique almost mm-hmm. hidden in plain sight and not very well known, much more referral based. People were in our community would introduce us to their friends and their colleagues to bring in in a very, uh, in a very exclusive way. Mm-hmm. And five years ago, we made the decision, which was hard for me because I was very protective of what we were doing to bring the, to bring this, what we've learned to bring it to more people. And we have been in a five year, I'll go back to the word pivot. We've been in a five year pivot to actually move from an exclusive Offering mm-hmm. to much more inclusive, and to start bringing it to more organizations, more markets, and more people. So, for the first time, if you were to talk to me five years ago, I'd say, you know, Tova, I'm, I'm very satisfied being a small boutique with a small team, and in uh, really serving with deep care and, and love those that uh, that, that are um, that are working with us in our Leadership Academy, and now. We're actually asking a, a very different set of questions, which is how do we actually bring this kind of work to a much bigger uh, part of the marketplace, mm-hmm. both directly you know in our work by growing but mm-hmm. also in finding uh, you know collaborators and fellow travelers other organizations that we can bring what we've learned and and share it with them and teach it to them so they can actually uh, bring it out to the world so our our ambitions for what we're um, what we're hoping to participate in is moving from touching thousands of people to tens of thousands and indirectly through hundreds of thousands and possibly even millions and and that and that's new for us and so I'd say mm-hmm. we don't really know how to do that because we've worked so hard to um, put a governor on mm-hmm. our growth so mm-hmm. that we could you know go go deep and do it with uh, with a level of integrity mm-hmm. and we're learning you know how do we, maintain a a level of integrity and authenticity in the work and actually still grow it. Mm -hmm. And I'll, you know, I'll stay with a a restaurant kind of metaphor here. If we were a restaurant in the past, we just wanted one location Mm -hmm. and Mm we were, we were, we wanted to take care of our customers. Mm -hmm. And now we have an aspiration to metaphorically grow locations all over the country. So the question is, what are we going to be in another 20 years at our 40th anniversary? Are we going to be Olive Garden? No offense to Olive Garden, mm-hmm. but hey, mm-hmm. you know that's that's a that's a that's a big scaled restaurant chain. Yep. Or are we going to have something with some more mojo and some more authenticity? That's that's that that still feels like there's there that that it's being that's being everything's being built with care. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and you know there's a there's a few restaurants um, you know that have done that. Not many. That have really been able to, you know, be national, and there's yep. still a sense of authenticity. Yep. And so, where, um, you know, True Foods would be an example of yep. a restaurant. I that, just
0: thought of that. Yeah. You know,
1: True Foods. I go into True Foods, and I'm like, I know, I, I know, I know that the person who started True Foods in Dallas is not in the Dallas location in the in the kitchen, but I feel cared for. Yeah. And I feel this sense of this sense of connection to yep. the food and to yep. the staff, and I'm like, wow, like they're scaling, quote unquote. Yep. And they're doing it with with well, intentionality, with right? And care. Mm-hmm. And so I hope when you say what's steak and you know, what are we gonna look like? I hope that our journey and our trajectory looks and feels to the world more like a true foods journey and mm-hmm. not like a uh, not like a typical chain restaurant. Mm-hmm. And um, and not not, and not chilies. Not chilies. <laughs> and I and I, you know, if I'm really honest with you, I'd say I'm both I'm both inspired about the future and at times I'm a little bit frightened about mm-hmm. what growth. You know, might lead us to, and will we lose our way? Sure. And you know, it's, it's so it's, it's so clear. I'm so clear. We're not going to lose our way now. Mm-hmm. But as we've get as we've gotten bigger, and we're hiring people all the time and growing, mm-hmm. it's no longer about me. Right. It's no longer about like, am I going to make sure that we don't lose our way? Right. How does the organization start to organize itself that it doesn't lose its way? Right. And how can I, as the as the leader, at least in this moment, how can I contribute and serve? So that, so that we build that institutional care, sure. not just my heroic care as the founder. And yeah. I, I think this is a journey all entrepreneurs are faced with if they're honest, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited and I'm a little terrified yeah. about the future.
0: And I think that's, that's probably what makes you super effective. Mm. I think you should be a little scared. I think it should have your attention. Mm. And you know what? I think if it does, then you're going to do everything you can to make sure that it, that it goes in the direction that you want it to. I mean, it it is such, uh, it has been such a, a positive experience for me. It's been such a positive experience for my class. Um, you know, we email each other all the time. We're huge cheerleaders for each other's lives. We know about each other's kids. We know about each other's spouses. We, it's so much more than just a, like a, an executive training program. I mean, it's... Yeah. it's and, and, we, you're, and
1: I know we're wrapping up, but you're hitting on the one of the principles at, at the core of what we do in all of our programs, not just the ILP, is this the role of community.
0: Yeah, I love where, it.
1: Where is the role of community? And whether it's a Bible study or whether it's a uh, a small group of another kind, so much of the power of the transformation. Yes. You know, Scott Brown, one of our early graduates who was actually an Episcopal priest who went through our program and we didn't think we would we would translate to priests. And, uh, and he was an amazing, amazing contributor. And, and he said in his graduation, when he got his diploma, he said, you know, transformation, real transformation, doesn't happen in isolation. It yes. happens in community. Yes. It happens when you're with others. Yes. And so, what I'm loving and I'm just appreciating your experience with your Dewey cohort. Is this idea that you're seeing that this is not an individual journey?
0: Yeah, not at it's all. It's a
1: journey that's that's a that's a journey with others, and you're there to be shaped
0: mm-hmm. by
1: them, and you're there to shape them. Kind yes. of shaping, as David White, the poet, says, shaping and being shaped, right? Yeah. And that dance that happens when real development is occurring, yeah. and that is a um, you know the 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 this idea that the Holy Spirit. You know, shows up in relationships, yeah. right? In mutuality, absolutely. And uh, and that's you know that's what that's what's really uh, deeply embedded in yep. the foundation of the design of all of our programs is that community. You feel piece. it, yeah.
0: and let me tell you, it has. It is being in that community is a holy experience for mm-hmm. me. I can't speak for the whole group, but I mean, the, the we now I'm in quarter two, and at the beginning of the, our second meeting together. <clears throat> several of of the people in our class are out of town and they don't live here in Dallas. And so they came in the night before and we don't have to go have dinner together, but Anne, who's our biggest cheerleader, who's just amazing, um, she organized, you know, who wants to get together for dinner? Every single one of us except one. um, And it it was like a family thing that they couldn't get. Every single person came. We, We had a room at Javier's and and planned like this little devotional. We all prayed together. Yeah. I mean, we had so much fun. I was so sad when that dinner was over. And then we just had a blast the next day. I mean, we learned so much. We were inspired. We were challenged. We were convicted. Um, but but we also just had so much fun. The connection, yeah. the community uh, has just been so and what, you're, what, you're, getting, what you're
1: getting at is that leadership
0: is ultimately
1: a spiritual act.
0: Yes. Right. Oh, I, I want, I 1000% agree with yeah. that. I, yeah. I don't know how you would be an effective leader without having a spiritual component.
1: Right. And so when we, when we work with clients, they will often not have given themselves permission to see the role of their spiritual growth as an integrated component of their leadership, yeah. and this, you know, this this idea that as a leader, I have this huge responsibility to create the conditions for growth and development to happen. Yeah. And Scott Peck wrote a book called A Road Less Traveled many years ago, mm-hmm. and you know, he defines love in that book, and he defines love as the willingness to extend ourselves, to mm-hmm. open up, to be vulnerable, to extend ourselves in service of the spiritual growth of the other person or of me, or of both of us. And so this, this idea that what if leaders, more and more leaders saw their primary job as to create the conditions for the extension of that mutuality, that, 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 that expression of love. And then people think, Oh, Rand, you're hugging trees. You're in California. You're, how are you talking about love and leadership? But the reality is that love expresses itself in two ways. There is the, there is the gentle and almost the feminine expression of love, but then there's the fierce, challenging, sometimes masculine expression sure. of love.
0: Sure. And
1: it's the in, just like in parenting, just yep. like in in anything, how do we actually recognize that it's the it's it's both of those dimensions that yep. work together? Yeah. And and part of what we're trying to do is give people permission. Yes. To once again integrate their spiritual path into their work, and they can. And we define spirituality in a very precise way, at least at least I do. And we say that spirituality is a spiritual person feels that they are a part of something bigger than themselves. Yes. And so I have a dear friend who's an atheist and he loves to study the universe and the cosmos. And he's really into like the the the, the cosmic-centric, you know, dimension of a reality. And so I say to him, his name is Brian. I say, Brian, you're a spiritual person. And he goes, No, I'm not, I'm an atheist. I said, if I assert that spirituality is the recognition that you're a part of something bigger than yourselves. Do you feel like you're a part of something bigger? And he says, well, absolutely. And I said, under my definition, you're a deeply spiritual person. Mm-hmm. I have another friend who's an atheist. And I said, um, don't you go out to Colorado and isn't one of the greatest joys that you do is hiking in Colorado. And I said, when you're out in Colorado, standing in the mountains, do you feel like you're a part of something bigger? Yeah. And he says, well, of course and then I have lots like you, lots of individuals who are very strong in their faith. And to them, they're like, of course, I'm spiritual because I'm, I'm a part of God. Yeah. And so for us, we're actually under that definition, we're actually doing spiritual work. We're right. helping leaders connect to something bigger than themselves. And in doing so, helping them be more influential, more inspirational, more effective, helping them drive change. And by the way, because we're unapologetic free market capitalists at Stegan, we're like, You don't have to trade off the capitalism part. You can be a conscious capitalist and you can actually make more money by being conscious and awake and intentional and spiritual. And so it's a a very counter... Counterintuitive. Yeah, the the paradox of so true. The way to maximize profits is to focus on more than just maximizing profits. Yes. If I focus on my people and my customers and my community, I can actually make more money by focusing on more than just money. Yep. And private equity people are like, "What? That doesn't make any sense." (laughs) Then they they don't they don't typically do work with us. I'm friends with them, but they don't work with us. And um, (laughs) and so that's uh, that that's the that's the real exciting part for the work that we're doing is that it's ultimately helping human beings just actually find ways to access more of their humanity.
0: and yeah. I love it. You so, know, I give me, give me, I will get behind any leader who, who uses these words vulnerability and love and inspiration mm-hmm. and humility. Like, and I think that, that so often leaders think they have to be tough and cold and, and blunt and, uh, have a, you know, a little bit of a wall That's right. between you and I mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't know, Stegan I think opens people up to another way, mm-hmm. another way to inspire and lead and influence and change. And, and I think that, I mean, and you just said it, that the, the gift of that, the, the outcome of that is you will be more profitable. But that's right.
1: Through time, yes, and this doesn't work in a quarterly mentality. Yes, but if you think about it yes. over ten years, yes, and long game, the long game, and we call it to be a decader. That's our term. Yeah, is that our clients identify with this idea of like I want to be a decader? I want to think yeah. about my life in I'm in need terms at of decades least that long. Yeah, and then decades, I'm going to need another decade, yeah, and then maybe after another. The, after lifetime. the <laughs>
0: yes. after the first decade, yeah. then I'm going to need the de- yeah. yeah. I've shared this on this podcast before. Um, one time I was in my therapist office, Janice Gant. And I was frustrated with myself because of something that I just was still struggling with. And I asked her, Janice, you know, when am I, I'm just so frustrated with myself. Like, when am I going to get there? And she just laughed and she was like, Oh, Dova, there is no there. There is no there. There is no there. But you know what? If we're always growing and we're always learning and we're always inspiring and being inspired, we are changing. And, and that's the goal. That's my goal. Like right. I want, I want to look back on my life in five years and be different. I am so different than who I was five years ago. I'm, I'd like to think I'm different than who I was five months ago. Right. You know, that's right. I want to be, and that's that's my goal. And, I, and you know, Stegan has just been a huge part of it. So, Rand, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for not making it so exclusive. Thank you for listening to your team.
1: Thank you you for the opportunity to be here and uh, and to participate in this, uh, this conversation. And hi to Janice who I've listened to and love listening to all you guys banter and Kevin and yeah, Janice is awesome. You're
0: going to want to listen to next week. Your wife is going to want to listen, you to listen to next week on conflict (laughs) resolution. Awesome. awesome. Really good. Okay. So if somebody wants to learn about Stegan. Where do they go? Stagan.com, S T A G E N.com, and they can learn all about us there. Okay. And if they want to call someone, who oh, should they, they call? Can, they can find everything on the website. Okay. Yep. Go to Stagan.com, yep. learn about it, and and tell them that Rand Stagen on the remedy sent you.
1: And that you are a firewalk company, you can tell them, and they'll be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Thank you, Rand. Thank Appreciate you. it. <laughs>